Love and light. What's happening, y'all? My name is Brother Akeen, and this is my podcast, Akeen's Open Talk. Here on this platform, I discuss a wide range of topics, anything from politics to entertainment, love or relationship issues, current events, and even music. Any and everything is fair game. Now, on this particular episode, I was fortunate enough to have an active, presently serving police officer agree to sit down and have a conversation with me about today's climate in regards to police departments and their relationships with and within the communities they serve. I want to get his opinion on what is currently going on with these demonstrations and protests and how he views the Derek Chauvin and Greg and Travis McMichael arrests, as well as the Breonna Taylor botched raid killing. Also, as I plan to ask him questions from the average citizen's perspective, I would like to see if we can come up with some ideas on how to solve some of these tense police black male interactions specifically. I mean, we both can probably agree on what the problems are, So now it's time for some solutions. I think this episode will be extremely informative to all listening. So as usual, I'd like to thank you all for your support and taking the time to check out my podcast. Much love to you all for that. So now, let's talk openly. Okay, I'm on now. All right, all right. Well, first of all, I would like to thank my guests for having to sit down with me and giving myself and the listeners a chance to hear things from a police officer's point of view. I want to ask you questions that are common among the community residents that are not in law enforcement or a part of the justice system itself. Now, I want to protect your anonymity, so how should I refer to you, first of all? Um. Just you can you can just call me um let's you can just say Jack call me Jack Jack all right all right that's simple enough all right um now would you mind disclosing your race or is that important to you oh uh, yes I have no problem I am a proud black man serving in the law enforcement community all right all right but well, I, I like to hear that <laughs> okay all right so um before we really get things started overall how do you view the protests that are going on today across the country exactly. Uh, what type of sentiment do you see towards that or what personal feelings do you gain um, out of witnessing what we are seeing on television today? Or is that something that um, you kind of come immune to or how would you describe uh, it? I, the protest that's going on today, I think is much needed. You know, I think it, it's this uh, <clears throat> this current situation that we're in is very unfortunate. And I hate that it actually happened, but um, I'm a true believer and everything happens for a reason. And um, it's it's a tragedy that that a um, a man had to lose his life to open up the eyes and tr- and to try to get people on the same accord. You know, a lot of things has happened to us over the years in reference to black men and black women and people of color losing their lives at the hand of uh, road cops and things of that nature. 
Um, but for some reason, this one right here was a little bit different because it was caught on tape and it was kind of live. And a lot of people saw it and it opened their eyes to some people to um, some of the the cries for help that uh, people, some people of color has been has been going over for uh, the past past couple of years or whatever the case may be. So um, I do think that the protests and things of that nature is, is a beautiful thing to see all people of all color coming together to um, demand change. Um, what I don't like about it is I don't like the destruction and the actual getting out, committing crimes and, and bodily harm to other people to try to get your voice across. Um, by doing so, um, it leaves room for those naysayers to go ahead and hijack this, 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 um, the protest, the meaning, the true meaning behind the protest and things like that. So I just, that's the part I really don't like in reference to, um, individuals going out there and, and, and burning down their, their neighborhoods and things of that nature. You know, I don't agree with that part right there because that's where you live at. Don't mess up where you live at. Don't do that. Because when everything all, whenever the smoke blows over and, and, and everything calms down, you got to go back to your neighborhood and those, some of those places are not going to be there. You, you messing up your own resources in your own neighborhood. So that part I really don't like. Right. I definitely agree with you on that one for sure. I mean, uh, sometimes those type of things, or at least a lot of times those type of things can be counterproductive to the overall movement or message. So Absolutely. You know, I most definitely agree with you on that one. So let me just give you a quick little disclaimer before we really get into this thing. Um, now, at any time, if you feel uneasy about a question that I ask, just let me know, and I will definitely respect that and back off. So I just want to, you know, get that out there for you, just so you know, I'm not trying to, it's not, this is not about trying to attack police or, you know, trying to get you in any, any type of a gotcha type situation. This is definitely to learn and, and try to dialogue and try to get both sides out there to kind of really come up with some solutions in the end. You know what I mean? Okay. So I just wanted to put that out there for you. All right, Jack. Um, now, how long have you been a law enforcement officer and what made you want to become one? Um, I've been in law enforcement now, I would say, let's see, um, about total of about 17 years now. Um, the reason why I wanted to join law enforcement because my, my family has a law enforcement background. My father was a uh, uh, retired state trooper. He did over 20 some odd years as a state trooper. My grandfather was a police officer and I have other family members that was in the law enforcement field. So that's basically what I grew up around. And, um, and, you know, I did a stint in the military, you know, I was actually in the military and I was in law enforcement in the military as well before I, I joined the, um, the, the ranks on the civilian side of the house. So I have a passion for it. I have a passion for giving back and trying to make better in my, make my communities better than the ones I serve in. Would you say that your family kind of encouraged you to get into that profession? No, actually, nobody, no one actually encouraged me or forced me to go into that route. You know, I was just always fascinated with it. And um, I kind of, my family has let me pick my own career path. And, and that's the path I, since I was comfortable with that, you know, I'm playing cops and robbers and stuff growing up all the time. That's what I was doing as a kid. And so it was right. just something that was actually just fascinating to me, the actual law enforcement side of the house. So, um, but no one forced me to go into it. No one tried to persuade me into doing that. Um, to be honest with you, my mom, she tried to persuade me not to do it, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it was kind of my decision to go into it. And um, I just hit the ground running with it. Yes, sir. 
I definitely can respect that. I would have assumed that the family would have tried to lead you in that direction, though, when you have so many uh, family members that were officers and, you know, inside of the department. So I would have really thought they would have tried to influence you to do that. No, no, it was the, it was the other way around. My, my mom, <laughs> she would sit there and say, my, my grandfather, he passed away, but my she say all the time, man, my, um, my grandfather would be proud of you, especially um, the route I went as far as the military and also in the law enforcement, the military and also on the civilian side. So she said that all the time, but she hates me being in law enforcement. She hates it because of the climate oh, wow. that we are in today. Oh, especially. Yeah, I could definitely understand that. So, but, uh, you know, much respect for you for uh, entering into that field. I mean, I know that things are rough now and all, but we definitely uh, need uh, people like you. And I think it's important that at the end of it all, we all come to understand that your profession is needed. Mm -hmm. You know, so I definitely respect you for that one. Well, I appreciate it. All right. Now I'm so I'm assuming that you saw like the three latest tragic police involved acts, which led to the deaths of three black citizens from let me see, that was Brunswick, Georgia, Louisville, Kentucky, and um, Minneapolis. Uh -huh. So you are familiar with those three? Yes. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you about your thoughts on each three, and I would like for us to kind of break them down case by case. We don't have to elaborate too deep into them, but I'll just give you like a quick question for each case, and we can kind of, you know, discuss in detail about those things. Okay. Okay. Now with uh, the Breonna Taylor uh, uh, incident in Louisville, Kentucky, what are your thoughts specifically about no-knock warrants? Um, I personally don't like it to be honest with you because the reason why I, I don't like it because you're going to end up in situations like, like this right here so I, I feel as though that you need to have all your checks and balances done when it comes down to um, when you're serving warrants when you're, when you're going to anyone's house you need to make sure that you have the right address the right person and do all your homework before you do that and I will sit there and say with this situation it was um, a lack of communication a lack of planning, a lack of uh, just everything came down to it. I could also say a lack, some lack of training that actually transpired as well. Um, but I, I don't agree with it. I really don't because, like I said, you, when, when it comes down to law enforcement, we are <clears throat> we are supposed to be held at a higher standard because we are enforcing the laws. So when we break the law or, or we do something different, I think we do need to be punished accordingly because guess what? We are that that barrier between a person going to jail or or even maybe you know life or death situation. So when it comes down to that situation, I, I don't like it. It needs to be revamped. I think they need to get rid of it and and go ahead and go down a, diff, a different route to try to um, prevent something like this from happening again. Right. And the thing that really caught me about it was the fact that number one, from what I've read, there were only three officers, mm -hmm. and I kind of found out kind of unusual you know i always thought it would be like a team mm -hmm. you know and then they were playing clothes at that you know so if somebody was to see you know some plain clothes people kind of you know i want to say breaking i know they were not breaking in but to the person inside the home that's how they're going to perceive it i would imagine yeah you know people breaking into your home playing plain clothes people you would think that hey you know these are people that's out to do harm or you know home invasion, that type of thing. So it just made it seem like it was a situation where the, the resident, they can't win because if these are police officers and they try to defend themselves, well, now you're putting yourself in a position to look like you're, 
you know, going against law enforcement. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you don't know who they are because, <laughs> you know, from what I've heard or, or from what I've read, it was after midnight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the residents were in the home sleeping and you just get a, you know, a bash or whatever through your door and then you see people coming in. You don't know what to think. Right. So I just thought it was very unfortunate that they could be plain clothes that way. I didn't know they could do that. Well, you can be plain clothes, but you still have to have some sort of visibility, some markings, whether it be um, your, your vest and something has to have something on it. But the thing about it is if you're going to do that, you need to verbalize yourself that who you are, what are you there for? Like, say, for instance, they're there for serving a warrant. If they kick that door and or bash that door and they need to, they need to acknowledge, hey, police, sheriff department, marshals, whoever the case may be, search warrant or whatever the case may be, and they come in and they need to verbalize that. And that right. way people know what's going on because if you, I'm a police officer. So the thing about it is, but if you kick my door in, first thing I'm going to think somebody is, is home invasion. So I'm going to think the same thing and I'm going to start shooting as well because exactly. I'm protecting my home. So that just needs to be, that needs to be verbalized. But when it comes down to, um, that's how you serve warrants. You normally serve warrants, try to catch people when they're um, not, when they're least expected and things of that nature. But it's just unfortunate that this situation happened like that. Um, I can see both sides of it. I can see the on the the Taylor family side of the house, and I can also speak on the on the law enforcement side of the house of, of what happened because I'm also on the um, um, special response team um, and also SWAT school, excuse me, SWAT training and stuff like that as well. So mm-hmm. I can understand the tactics portion of it, but I just think a lot of this stuff that we have, a lot of these departments have a lot of dated material, a lot of dated tactics that needs to be revamped. Um, we'll get into a little bit more of that, especially when we start talking about um, uh, George Floyd. Okay, okay. And another thing real quick that caught me about that case was the fact that they had a no-knock warrant, but officially they claimed that they knocked. Yeah. So does that make sense to you personally? Well, I'm, I, I can't sit there and say that it, it makes sense or if it don't make sense because, like I said, each department is different. So each department has SOPs, which is standard operating procedures. They have different uh, uh, rules and guidelines that the department, that the policy, the department actually puts out. So um, me personally, I've never done it that way. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, hey, each department is different. So I can't sit there and say that's right or wrong because if it's, if it's written in their policy like that, that means that's how they do, that's how they do business. So um, for mm-hmm. me, on the federal side, we, we don't we don't do stuff like that. Right, right. Okay, okay. And for the record, I think I read somewhere um, that their chief may have been terminated. I don't know if it was an unrelated situation or it had something to do with this or not. But it seems like there's like a like a little minor shakedown going, or not shakedown, but a shake up uh, going on within that department as we speak. So, you know, maybe they may you know, change some things just because of situations like this, you know? I think that's elite. that needs to happen on a lot of agencies around across country. A lot of shakeups need to be happening because I, I'll be the first to sit there and say, you know, if I, I've experienced um, racism and things of that nature in the law enforcement field, the law enforcement yeah. has always been a, a, a so-called good old boy system. So no matter mm. how many African-Americans, how many people of color we got in there, we're still going to be, um, outnumbered, we're still going to be the minority in law enforcement. Right, so, right. but the thing about it is um, it's, it's just values and beliefs. So it's, it has nothing to do with training. It has nothing to do with being a police officer, uh, deputy, uh, 
federal agent, whatever the case would be, it all go, boils down to your, your values and beliefs, what you believe in. So that's where a lot of officers get in trouble because they forget to close their bag, which means they put their, their personal feelings, their personal values, their personal beliefs into the situation versus what's going on with black and white, which is your tactics, your, your training, your SOPs, your, your rules and regulations. That's what you need to go by instead of opening up your bag and, and start putting your personal feelings into it. And that's when a lot of people start getting in trouble when it comes down to law enforcement. Well, I really respect you saying that, brother, because, you know, that that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, it, it's very unfortunate that sometimes, you know, some officers forget that. And, you know, I, I just hate to see lives lost, uh, you know, when st once the personal, um, you know, emotional stuff starts to get added. And I know police officers are human, so, you know, it happens. But I just hate to see lives lost, uh, you know, when you know, you could kind of just stick to the training and kind of leave the, the uh, you know, the personal things out of it. I know, you know, I'm not saying that they knew these people personally, but, mm -hmm. you know, it just seems sometimes, sometimes some officers may get a little too aggressive with it and they mm -hmm. forget that these are people too that they're coming for. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's just, you know, one man's personal opinion in the, in the community. So yeah. <laughs> hopefully things will get better in that, in that, type of situation. Uh, I hope so. Mm -hmm. Okay, the next case um, I wanted to bring up was uh, Ahmad Arbery. Mm -hmm. um, a question I had related to that case was, do you believe that the McMichaels were performing a legitimate citizen's arrest? Absolutely not. Absolutely. The thing about it is, um, when it comes down to that, you know, um, Georgia, had, each state has different laws in reference to what citizens can and cannot do and things of that nature. Now, right. Georgia does have a, a citizen's arrest law, which is, you know, I understand it. It's, it's, it's a good thing if it's utilized the right way. Um, but personally, it just seem, it doesn't seem like a, a, a citizen's arrest or self-defense to the point where you, um, you brandish a firearm and you doing things of that nature and all that stuff like that. Once you brandish a firearm, it changes the dynamic of, of the totality of the circumstance. It changes everything up for the simple fact now you have a firearm. So are you are you um afraid or are you the aggressor and things of that nature? So I don't I don't agree with that aspect because it seems like that from the evidence that we saw, it looks like he was actually targeted and hunted down to me. That's just my yeah. personal opinion when it comes down to it. Um so, no, I personally do not think that they were doing a a citizen's arrest or whatever like that. It just it was just too. It was just it. It seems like it was too orchestrated to me. It seemed it seemed premeditated to me. To be honest with you, so we were riding yeah. down the road. We have somebody riding down the road recording and all this other good stuff. We have loaded firearms and all this stuff. So it just seemed like it was just premeditated to the point where you know, hey, a crime. Okay, if you look at the nature of the law. Um, by Ahmad being in that house, yes, a crime was committed. I get that, but we all do. We have all been guilty of that. We see a place that's a uh, place that's being built. People going there to see, look at floor plans and things, and they admire. You know, this is a new facility or whatever, new house structure, whatever. So they go look at it. So the, by the nature of the law, yes, it was. <clears throat> he can be considered of committing a crime, but it wasn't to the point where a felony or anything like that was actually um, had transpired. So if that's the case call your local law enforcement and get them involved. 
give them a description and let them go to Hamden versus putting yourself out there and trying to take the law into your own hands. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I took a gaze at the uh, statute mm-hmm. in Georgia pertaining to uh, uh, citizens arrest. And the one thing that caught me was the person that's trying to perform the arrest, they would have had to have seen, they had to see um, evidence of a person committing a crime. And the way I read that report, they didn't actually see him commit a crime per se. They just thought that he was a suspect from another crime from another day. Mm-hmm. And they took it upon themselves to kind of, I guess, what, go after him or, or yeah. chase him down. And I don't know why the guns came into play, but I guess for some people, uh, you know, to perform a citizen's arrest, I guess they're thinking about their safety as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe they took the guns for that reason. But I think that kind of escalated the Absolutely. situation, in my opinion, you know. And, and from a and from an officer's perspective, do you do y'all even like when we try to perform citizens' arrests? Um, I, I personally, if unless it's, I, I I prefer that the civilians don't do anything like it because I I hate to see civilians get hemmed up for something they they're trying to do the right thing, but at the same time we do have laws, so I hate to see if for a civilian to try to do the right thing and get out there and get themselves hemmed up for um put themselves in a compromised position the same way we could we could say the same thing about the medical field so if you get out there you witness an accident and you perform cpr chest compression things on a person like that if you're civilian and you cause damage to that person that person could actually sue you even though you're trying to do the right thing so i would prefer that if you see a crime taking place get on the phone call your law enforcement if you can if it's safe follow that individual follow at a safe distance where you're not putting yourself in any danger and let the law enforcement person handle that Versus getting out there because, you know, even though one of the guys was a uh, previous law was in law enforcement previously, um, that still doesn't you still can put yourself in, in, in a situation like he is right now. So just sit back, let the people who are who get paid the, the pennies to go out there and do this job and let them go do it. That's what they're there for. But just right. don't put yourself in a compromising position. I, I don't recommend anybody to do that. Just make the phone call and put the description out because. Um, nowadays, with with the communications and, and the technology we have now, um, you can run all you want to, you can whatever, but you can't outrun the radio. So just let them go ahead and just do what you do. Let them do what they need to do, and just just don't put yourself in a compromised position like that. Right. And I know that we're not all, you know, all of us are not privy to the details of what's going on with that investigation and with that case. But based on what we know so far. <sighs> I'm, I'm gonna try to. I'm trying to dance around this one in a, in, a, in a trying to be smart about the way I ask this one. But do you have? Do you find any fault at the fact? Well, let me ask you this way: Based on what we do know, do you think there was enough evidence to perform an arrest on the McMichaels uh, father and son duo? I do. I, I think it was. You know, I do think it. I think it was a lot. It was a lot of negligence that was out there and things of that nature because, okay, so um, they went strictly to deadly force when the individual had not, um, Aubrey did not present a weapon or nothing like that at all. Only thing he was doing was running down the road, I guess coming from the house that he was in is running down the road, looked like he was trying to get away. So when you have a person that's there with a shotgun out 
standing out there. What the, from what I'm looking at from my perspective, that he went over and saw a person with a gun, he and he grabbed the gun. You know, that's that looked like a self defense move to me. So when it come down to it, it automatically escalated to deadly force. So the shots that was fired was 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 for deadly force. It wasn't to wound. It wasn't to injure. It was, it was to kill. So that was the issue that um. So I, I do think there was there was um negligence there, and I don't think that it it should have um escalated to that point there. Right. And uh, from what I've read, uh, kind of similar to what's going on in Kentucky, um, there's somewhat of a shakeup going on within that department because there's some. Some other cases, I believe, uh, that went down that were kind of questionable. And I think they're having an issue with the DA as well. The same yeah. person that told the police officers to stand down and not make their arrest. Yeah, that's, so. that's, that's terrible. <laughs> and, and that happens a lot, too. So, you, you know, let me let me a lot of people have the the um, the the misunderstanding that it's, it's the police, whatever, like the, who's doing charges and all that stuff. We don't do any charges whatsoever. Only thing we do is write the affidavit. Your your DA office, your your um, appointed official, excuse me, those are the individuals who decided they want to bring charges upon what the affidavit states. So a lot of people think that okay, well, these these cops that are doing um, locking people up and doing things of that nature. That's not the case. The only thing our job is supposed to be is to uphold the law. If there is a law that has been that has been broken, we are supposed to sit there and enforce those laws, do the paperwork, and send it up the proper chain, and let the individuals decide if they're going to um, um, get charges and stuff bring, brought upon them. So, just like say, for instance, when a lot of these other cases where these officers are acquitted and things of that nature, that has nothing to do with an investigation from the department. That has nothing to do with anything from the local police department area. That comes mm -hmm. from your from your from your um, legal division in reference to your DA's office and things and that your state attorneys and stuff like that, they decide if they're going to bring charges of things and they, it's not the departments. So I want people to really understand that if you once you see these individuals get off not being charged and things of that nature, that comes from your um, district attorneys and things of that nature. That's right. not from your that's not from your local department. So <clears throat> if people want to change, want change. In their in their communities, in their cities, in their states, they need to get out and vote and look exactly look at the people who they have in these these positions in reference to district attorneys, state attorneys, and things like that. But these are the individuals who take these cases to court or decide not to take them to court. Right, and I know exactly what you're saying about that, uh, Jack. The thing that caught me in this case was the fact that the DA told them to stand down and not even make the arrest. I mean, I know what you're saying about the, 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 the district attorney has the ability to charge or not charge, but usually yeah. the arrest is made first. Yes. And, and then they'll decide if they want to continue uh, to pursue charges or not from that point on. But I've never seen it to where a DA on the spot told officers to not make an arrest on the spot and that they wouldn't pursue it then. I, I didn't, I've never seen that before. Oh, that happens all the time, brother. That happens all wow. the time to the point where, you know, <clears throat> we as police officers, we get we get so um, we have it's a lot of conflict sometimes between the police departments and, and also your, your your DAs and things of that nature, because, you know, we can have a, a simple closed cut case right there. And the DA will, or, or, or attorney's office will sit there and say no. So it's it's a lot of 
um, hostilities between the two because you know it. You would think that we w- we would work together on one accord, but that's definitely not the case. Um, our prime example, if you look at Baltimore, a lot of the officers up in Baltimore, they are in turmoil when it comes down to their their district attorney, their DA's office, and things of that nature. They don't work together at all. I have friends up there that that work up in homicide and things like that. And um, I just hear the I just hear the stories, the, the nightmares and stuff that's going on up in Baltimore about a lot of people not being charged and things of that nature. So it's a political game. I hate to say it, but it's a political game. It's about who you know. And that's exactly what happened down in, in Brunswick. You know, that individual knew the DA, worked with the DA. And so, like I said before, about people closing their bag and doing the letter of the law, whatever in black and white, that's what you're supposed to do. But personal feelings got involved. She she had a, a personal relationship with these individuals. So guess what? She told individuals to stand down. And what are, what are we to do? Is if that's who our next level is right there, so we told her to stand down. So um, it's sometimes your hands are tied when it comes down to things like that. And I think those law enforcement officers down in that area, their hands were tied by someone that was higher up from them. Wow, you know that's it's unfortunate because that's where the public, that's where a lot of the issues start with them. It's like it's a it's a selective. Uh, prosecution type deal like we pick and choose or at least they feel DAs pick and choose uh, which people they feel they want to prosecute and for whatever reason nepotism or whatever they may not choose to prosecute other cases so you know a lot of that public distrust I think starts with situations like that you know where it just seems like it's selective justice yeah I understand okay uh Let's see the George Floyd case. Now, this one is a, a hot topic today for obvious reasons. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that the neck procedure that was used by Officer Chauvin, I believe that's his name, Chauvin, do you think that that procedure was necessary? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And the thing about it is I teach defense tactics. I teach I teach that. And there's no way that stuff was taken out of the, out of the, the manual years ago that's an outdated technique people don't do that we don't teach that we would never because you could do so much damage you could do so much damage to nerves arteries and things of that nature you can cause permanent damage that way prime example look exactly what happened we do not teach that that is something that <laughs> that's a, that was a rogue technique put it like that it's wow. so outdated but at the same time i will say this their department had it in there which is an outdated policy Right. That most most depart most departments do not have that in. They have completely went away from that. And a lot of the gripes between officers that um that I've talked with in reference to that is like, why are they still doing that? And to be honest with you, I hate to say it, but that can be that officer's claim to fame because hey, it's in our policy to do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's that could be an issue that's gonna that's gonna pop up because the thing about it is if your if your policy states that you can do that. He was well within his his rights to do that because that's what the policy states. But a lot of people we don't we don't go to. I don't teach that. I've been teaching for a while. I don't teach that. You will not find that in any curriculum that I'm involved in. And a lot of departments don't teach that as well. Well, as far as the procedure itself, do you recall if it mentioned that the suspect, if he were to be handcuffed, that you were not allowed to apply it, or was it still a fair it's, game to apply that? 
There's no need to. Once that person is handcuffed and you have you have command and control of that individual, there is no need for that. Even the thing about it is when, when George Floyd was handcuffed down, on the, I don't care if he was resisting previously, whatever the case may be. Once you got him down and you have him in handcuffs, you have control of that situation. So there was no need for the actual the pressure on the neck in reference to with the knee and things like nature or even the other individuals. I don't care if he was kicking or whatever the case may be like that. We have restraints for that. So if he was kicking and things and then because from one of the videos that I saw was that he was originally in the car and I guess he was resisting whatever the case may be like that. So we have restraints for that. So that's when we, we can sit there and put the leg restraints on and things like that to keep them from doing all the kicking and things like that. So that should have been applied versus sitting on the ground for about nine minutes. That was what was the purpose of doing that. So you have the tools. Each each car, each officer has tools, these type of tools in their trunk and things of that nature. So the, the thing that should have the thing that should have happened was once they got him in handcuffs, put him in the car, the leg restraints or any other type of restraints is required. They should have done that and moved on. But they failed to do that. That was a failed failed delegation to do that. That was terrible. That was terrible. I just couldn't understand it, man. I couldn't understand why it was necessary after he's cuffed. And he didn't seem to be resisting. I guess he couldn't do too much because you had two other officers holding his legs down. It just seemed like it was just such an unnecessary uh, procedure for the officers to take. Like, I just could not understand if he's subdued or he's under control. Why why do you have to knee, knee him in the neck, basically? Why do you yeah. have to? It was no, it was no need for that. In the beginning, if you had to have some type of control over them to get the handcuffs on them, I get that portion, because the right. thing is, you want to get the cuffs on a person that, as quick as possible to neutralize the situation. I get it, but once you got those handcuffs, I watched that video and he was handcuffed for about nine minutes. So my thing is, okay, I, I don't see where a point where the officer can sit there and say he was, he felt threatened. Because once the individual is on the ground, you got two more people on top of him, and you put your hands in your pocket. I don't know any officer right now who was yeah. and put their hands in their pocket once they feel threatened. If uh, if I feel threatened, I'm looking for my next level of force up, whether it be OC spray, my baton, taser, whatever the case may be, because mm-hmm. to neutralize the threat. Because our our job out there is actually neutralize the threat, bring it back down, and we need to be one step ahead of you for uh, on our on our levels of force as well. So the thing about it is, your hands in your pocket. I don't see a threat that was out there for that. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, brother. I took it as he was kind of like posing, like he was doing, you know, back in the day, historically. I mean, it's, it's a fact, you know, when they used to take and hang brothers from the tree, they stand around taking pictures and posing with them. And I kind of, you know, it kind of struck me that way that in 2020, here's a guy that's kind of flexing or whatever. And I know I might be exaggerating a little bit about what he was doing, but the hand in the pocket thing to me, that's almost like posing, man. He was almost trying to send a message to those watching that if you get out of line, this can happen to you too. You know, I took it personally that way, you know. And when you do stuff like that, you open up the floodgates for people to form their own personal opinion about that. So by right. doing that, sitting on a person's neck for that long period of time and things like that, you open it up the you open up the floodgates to allow people to form their opinion and say, okay, you should have did this right or should have did this wrong. Or or the, a different way of doing things. So, and I, and I totally, res- totally respect that. I respect everyone's opinion who has a, a view on what should have happened or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but it's just a very unfortunate situation. And um, it's, 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 it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it just had a, a really bad, I mean, again, you know, I took it from a historical uh, point of view. That reminded me so much of what we had, to, our ancestors had to deal with, you know, back in the days of, you know, real Jim Crow and, and the slavery. It just kind of brought that type of thing back to me. So uh, that image is hard to get out of, your, at least my head, it's hard to get out of my head after seeing it. Mm-hmm. It just sticks with me, you know, it makes it personal, you know. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of people are, uh, was in such a uproar just to seeing him so relaxed in that aspect, like he didn't have any um, any remorse for doing so so far, especially after hearing someone crying for help and things of that nature. So I think that's what caused a lot of the uproar for, especially from the, the African American community and things of that nature, just seeing that and hearing a person cry for help. Right, right. Yeah, it it it, it really got to me. It really got to me. Um, so that leads me to this next question. Um, do officers undergo psych evaluations? Yes, we do. When you first get hired on, um, you have to do a, some departments require you to do a psych evaluation and a polygraph test. Um, and if you have some sort of incident, um, your chain of command can actually refer you to um, to go get medically seen and things of that nature. But I'm gonna be honest with you. These these evaluations and, and whatever like that. If you have the person that will sit there and say anything, and that's what happens in these interviews. And, I, and I'm, I'm and this kind of pisses me off from the law enforcement side of the house because, like I said before, if you have a racist background or if you have a, a, a evil soul, six months at the police academy is not going to change that. Right. You know. If you go into the police academy after six months, that doesn't change who you are as a man or as a woman. If that's already in you, that's who you are. So when it comes down to these interviews and things of that nature, people sit down in front of you with a straight face and tell you everything you want to hear. And that goes for any profession. They say all the right things just to get that job. So I don't know anyone right now on this earth that will sit there and say, okay, well, in the interview process, well, I have a background racist or I don't, I don't like black people, I don't like white people, or whatever. I don't think people are going to sit there and jeopardize anything like that. So right. that people will say the right thing, <clears throat> even to in the interview process, even in the psych evaluation things of that nature. People will say the right thing to get what they want. So even with the psych eval, I, I still think um, it's that I think these backgrounds need to be dug into a little bit more and things of that nature because of um, uh, uh, putting these individuals out there. I mean, do you think that the department, do they really want to dig more? Because I'm going to be honest with you, brother. I mean, a lot of us in the community, we have this impression that the department, they want guys that are mad at the world, that was once bullied in high school or got a short man complex or psychopathic behavior. Because today, it seems like officers, some people believe, have to be that way in order to deal with some of the criminal elements out there. So a lot of us believe that's the type of, of guys that the department want. You know, they want the guys that got that chip on their shoulders. And and it seems to us that those guys go out there and they could take out their frustrations on citizens, man. I mean, they could vent <clears throat> on us and have no repercussions. And that falls right where they want it. That's exactly what they would want. So a lot of us in the community, we just have that impression that's the type of guy the department wants. And they turn their heads to those, quote, unquote, bad apples because they want people that's aggressive, that's going out there taking care of the bad guys. So 
Is there any truth to that? I, I personally would say no. The reason why I would say that is because um, if you have, if you are a person of character, whether you're man or woman, and you are in charge, let's say, for instance, you're the chief of police, you're the chief mm-hmm. of police, or you're the sheriff for that department. That's you're responsible for everything that's out there, right? You're responsible for every officer that's out there. So I don't think that anybody will want to hire someone who's going to jeopardize them going to jail or losing their job for the simple fact that I saw. I I disagree. I don't think that's the the mindset of of law enforcement because even with me, I was actually on the the hiring hiring panel and things in nature for um, bringing on new officers and also training new officers. So the thing about it is, I don't want if I get out there and train someone, part of the FTO, the fear training officer. Uh, if I train someone, I'm signing that paperwork say, stating that they're fully good to go. They're able to, to patrol and go on calls by themselves. So the thing about it is, we don't want to put anybody out there that's going to be um, a hazard to the community. And I'll be the first to sit there and tell you, I've failed people in field training, and we. Once you come on as a police officer, you have a two-year probationary period for most departments. And within those two years, you can be fired at anything. If you violate procedures, if you do anything on those two years, the first two years, you can be you can be terminated without with just cause. So mm-hmm. I've actually terminated people in the field training program. I'm like, you know what? This person's just not going to cut the mustard. He may be too aggressive or he may be too timid or to the point where he may get hurt himself. He'll, he or she may get hurt themselves. So it's not to the point that we want an aggressive person out there because we don't want to put anybody out there that's going to put a black eye on the department. But the thing what a lot of people fail to realize is some of these departments are large. It's some large departments. If you look at um, Baltimore, D.C., Philadelphia, New York has, if I'm not mistaken, New York has 35,000 officers oh, wow. for, for the new NYPD. There's no way you can, you, a lot of people, these departments, you you would never see the, the same officer twice, you know. So the thing about it's it's not to the point where, like, the chief can't sit there and and look and police everybody. That's why you have um, uh, you have your 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 different individuals that's out there in, in charge, commanders, your lieutenants, captains, whatever the case may be, like that. But so it's not to the point where we want these individuals to get out there and and harm others and, and beat up on the people. Those are people we, we don't want to have out there. We don't want these people out there. But those are the ones that slip through the radar. And <clears throat> I hear a lot of people sit there and say that, you know, there are a lot of good cops and we're the good cops when these people are doing stuff bad. And I want to address that issue. Um, if you really look at the situation, these road cops, they're not doing stuff around the good cops. They're not going to do that because the good cops are going to put them in their place. So they're going to say something, whatever the case may be. When these individuals are out there doing these things that people are losing their lives or doing whatever the case may be, they're either by themselves or they're around people who do like-minded things. So a lot of these good cops that are out there, we don't see this stuff because they're not doing that around us. Prime example, let's give you another scenario. If you work at McDonald's and you steal money from the, from the teal, are you going to steal money from the from the till with somebody watching you? No, you're not going to do that because you're scared you're going to get caught. Or you may do it in front of somebody who may put you down and say, hey, you can get $20 out of here and they need to look it out for you. So you already have that, that cooperated effort, whatever like that. But you're not going to do that around people who don't do the same things that you do. Like, say, for instance, if you go do an illegal um, 
a legal search or whatever the case may be, you stealing money from people. You're not going to do that around someone like, say, for instance, myself, who's a field trainer. I have rank. You're not going to do that around me because guess what? You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose that battle 10 times out of 10. So that's why I want people to really understand that there are good officers out there, good cops, they're good deputies, they're good marshals, they're good everything out there. But you have those rogue individuals that are doing things behind the scenes and under the radar where people are not seeing it. So would you say it's fair to say that the officers like the ones that was with Officer uh, Chauvin, the ones that kind of just stood by as he did what he did, would you be saying that they also were on the same level as him by not stopping him? Yes, absolutely. I think, uh, yes, you, you're weak. You're a weak officer. If you saw something that was going on and you did not correct that, you are a weak individual and you're part of the problem. Those are the individuals who we need away from that don't need to have a badge on. You are a weak person. You are a weak officer. You are a threat to everyone who's doing the job the right way. So every last one of them, I do agree, every last one of those officers need to be charged because the simple fact is you see something that's going on, um, and you did make the correction. So I just saw a video today where they was arresting a protest in New York. And an officer, I think it was New York, if I'm not mistaken, an officer put his knee on the person's neck. And the officer that was another officer that was there assisted him. The first thing he did, pushed the, he pushed the officer's leg out the way, get your leg off his neck, and it, he put his knee on his back. So that's what needs to happen. When you see stuff like that, it's not about a damn cold. You need to sit there and fix the situation because guess what? Now... You're going to put yourself in danger because now, guess what? By you not speaking up, look what's happened. You just right. lost your job. You just lost your pension. And you're getting ready to go to jail. You're getting charges put against you. So you have the possibility of going to jail. So with me, I'm not going to do anything. And I'm not going to be around anyone that's going to take um, uh, money out of my pocket or food out of my refrigerator. That's not going to happen. And a lot right. of other officers have that same mindset to the point where you're trying to tell them, I'm going to let you go out here and do something stupid. That's going to cost me my job. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So would it be safe, safe to say that in most cases, it's fear that prevents those officers from intervening and stopping the ones that's going overboard with the physicality? Is it more so fear that's stopping them from intervening? Or could it just be that they just being a good cop and not saying anything uh, you know, to them, I guess... Uh, <laughs> on the line, it's easier to, to just kind of turn your head away rather than get involved and try to, I don't know if it's looked at as um, you're trying to uh, second guess or, you know, uh, uh, undermine the authority of an officer when he's doing something that's a bit overboard and you don't want to get into that dispute. So is it more it, it so could, it could be a mix. It could be a mix of anything, to be honest with you, brother. It could be to the point where you know, the officers could be young to the point where they don't know all the proceeds. Like if you have a person that's coming out, you got to think about it. You're going through six months of six months of a, a, academy to teach you how to become a police officer. And that's just the basics. You're going to learn how to be a police officer on on the job training, daily, daily calls, because there's nothing I can teach you in the police academy. that's going to that's going to help you when you get out there, because every call is going to be different. I can't simulate to you exactly word for word or step by step how a call is going to be because each situation is different. So when you get out there and I will sit there and say a lot of the problems um, 
I, I would love to see change in, in the law enforcement community is actually the field training process for that, that six to 10 weeks or whatever the case may have, whatever the department's um, policy is in reference to training these individuals coming out of the department. I think these trainers need to be squared away. They need to pick better trainers because if, if and I had a discussion about this with some more law enforcement officials. If you have a trainer that's training these in, individuals and he has, he or she has that, that evil spirit or bad soul and, and do things um, not by the book and cut corners. You're teaching that individual to do the same exact thing and teaching them that that's right. So a person that's coming to just think about it. If you have a, a 20 year old um, guy or girl coming off the street, just went through the Academy and whatever the case may be. And now they graduated in FTO and you have your training officer there that's teaching you say, okay, well, this is what you do. They don't know any better because they haven't been in the field. They have not been on the job that, that long. So they don't know what whatever. So they go about what they're being taught. So that's where we kind of make the mistake in, in law enforcement I have seen because I've seen some guys and girls. I'm like, who in the hell trains you? You know, because that's absolutely, absolutely wrong. So we're going to go back to the basics and stuff. Like I've, I've actually did the paperwork to pull people off the road. Hey, you know what? No, you need to get retrained. You need to get some training because that's not the way we do business. And no, you're going to get hurt or you're going to hurt somebody. And it's going to be it's going to be, excuse my language, a shit storm from there. And I don't I don't agree with that. So, you know, I, I, it could be fear. But at the same time, a lot of these guys and girls have been on the force for a while. So they looked at it as God, so to speak, to the point where, hey, this is a veteran. This is a legend or whatever the case may be like that. So it could be fear, intimidation. Um, this field, just like you mentioned, you made a comment earlier about the short man syndrome or things of that nature. So you got to think about it. Some of these guys and girls never been in a position of power before. And so they're timid, but now they have this badge now. So they have all this new power, don't know what to do with it. So it, it, it can go a lot of different ways when it comes down to that. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, if you really try to, you know, you know, put yourself, uh, in a neutral type situation and try to understand where some of this, uh, you know, some of these sentiments from some of these officers can come from. You could kind of understand how some people, uh, you know, it, it, I guess it depends on the individual because you can train and train and train. But if that individual, you know, has an ulterior motive, you know, that training may not, you know, stick as it does with the next guy, you know? Mm -hmm. I agree. You know, um, and I just want to remind uh, the people listening, I'm speaking with a uh, currently serving police officer. We're going to go uh, with the name of Officer Jack. Is it Officer Jack or should it be Sergeant Jack or <laughs> Colonel Jack? Uh, how would you it? Sergeant. Sergeant. Okay, so there we go. Mm -hmm. Sergeant Jack. So uh, we're just trying to get, uh, you know, both sides of. Uh, the arguments here as far as the public outcry with what's been going on with these, uh, these, the last three cases that's sticking in my head the most with the uh, Chauvin case and the Arbery and the George Floyd, and I'm sorry, the uh, Breonna Taylor cases. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get a perspective from a police, police officer's uh, point of view, because a lot of times we forget that police officers are human. And it's, it's not fair to generalize all police officers like it's not fair to generalize all, you know, black people or just people in general in the community. So I just thought it would be an important thing to have a police officer on to kind of, you know, get a perspective 
directly from the source so that we could kind of better understand their position because all police officers obviously obviously are not bad. That's, so, that's the way it goes, man. We, we It's a lot of us out here doing the right thing. So, and I hate that it's overshadowed and a lot of, a lot of the, the actual day-to-day things that, that a lot of law enforcement officials out here are doing on a daily basis overlook because be honest with you, the way the media, social media, stuff like that, negativity sells. The positive stuff, uh, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. You may see something positive. It may be, if it's on the news, it may be the last 30 seconds of the news that they do a quick take, uh, clip of it. But if you have a situation like this with George Floyd and things like that, it's on mainstream news all day long. So the only thing you're seeing is the negative aspect of it. Right. And I will sit there and say, you have a lot of officers and you have a lot of officers who are fired on a regular basis. But that's not something that's reported. That's not something that the average person see when people say, okay, well, where are the good officers? Where are they doing? This stuff actually happens on a regular basis, but it's not reported. It's not broadcast out there like that. So the thing, but just like if you get fired from Burger King, um, that's not broadcast on the news. Okay, well, employee got fired from Burger King and stuff like that. But a lot of the officers, they do get fired. They do get placed um, stuff in their in their files. Their certifications are taken because of doing things of that nature. But I will sit there and say a lot of officers are doing the right thing. Like with, with for me, I've spent money out of my own pocket <clears throat> to buy gas, put people in the hotel, and things of that nature for people who I've encountered on stops and stuff like that. And my I don't personally I don't care about writing tickets and things like that. I prefer education. So I need to. Know, your attitude or your, your your demeanor may determine if you get a ticket or not. But my, my thing is, if I approach an individual, it's to the point where we need to have a conversation as to what happened and what can we do to prevent that from happening again. Now, if, you, if you're talking to me like you have some sense, because I'm always going to be respectful. So if you talk to me like you have some sense and things that nature, we're going to talk about it. It may be a warning, a verbal warning, or a written warning, whatever the case may be like that, because it's an education process. I'm not all about taking someone's money because that's the easy way of doing things. I can write a ticket all day long and take your money, but what have we learned about the situation or just put that stain between the civilian and the law enforcement community? Sure. So it's about education and building that relationship with people, but you have those individuals who have black and white, who have that nasty attitude, nasty mentality to the point where, hey, you, you can't do that education. You have to go ahead and take the next step up, which is write a ticket, make an arrest and things of that nature. So, yeah. But I just want to make sure that there are a lot of good cops out there that are doing the right thing and actually out there helping the community, trying to make the communities better. And you know what, though, uh, Sarge? I, I actually believe that. Um, mm-hmm. I think most people do believe that. I think where the problem is, is in the cases where they do mess up or where officers do mess up, it's almost like there's no accountability. In the public, mm-hmm. there might be things that's done behind the scenes, but as the you know the public, we want to see that. We want to see something done to show that officers have rules and guidelines to follow as well. And if they do get out of line, there is some type of consequence for them, just like there will be for us. Uh, the mm-hmm. first time we mess up in traffic, or you know, traffic infractions, or or, or you know, actual criminal acts. Well, we have police officers that's going to come. They're going to assess the situation. If they have to arrest us, they're going to handcuff us, bring us down to the jail and process us and so forth and so on. But to us, we don't see any consequences for officers when they might do something 
that may not be, you know, something that's uncalled for, something that's just not quite right. We feel as if though we have no recourse, we have nowhere to go to make sure that that officer has something, uh, you know, has some type of consequence for his action. So I respect the fact that behind the scenes, things may be done. But I think with the public, man, we, you know, we want to see it. Just like you said, we, we're a little bit more attracted to the negative than the positive. Positive officers do things all day. We don't notice that. We notice the negative. So it's one of those imagery things. We want to see that if somebody messes up, that's usually the ones that's given the orders, that there's somebody or some source of, uh, uh, you know, somebody or entity that can give them consequences or, or at least hold them accountable for when they get out of line. And that's, that's the thing. It's just we don't see it. And that's why we assume that it's not there. Understood, and I, and I get it, and that's what, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, in reference to um, if you want to see a change, is like some of these individuals who are not charged, get out there and vote. I'm not talking about we we focus so much on the presidential elections and things in nature, which is important, but the most important thing that's out there is your local your local elections. That's where you live. That's where you need to focus your attention more on. Don't focus just more on the presidential election, who we have in the White House, because, OK, that's over all the way at the top. But these people that are in your local communities, those are the ones that's most important to you because that has a direct impact on you and the things that happens in your community. So if you if you see that officers are not getting looking, you, all this stuff is public record. If you see officers who are not being charged and things of that nature, look who you have in those seats. Vote those individuals out of there. Get people in there who's going to do the job the right way and, and not going to be corrupt with the politics. So it, even though that's a hard, hard thing to separate from, but you, you still have to do it. That's I can't stress that enough to the point where you need to vote these individuals out that have these that's been in these seats for the longest because it's the same policies and procedures that's going on the same uh, disappointments and stuff like that. Vote these individuals out and get the right people in these seats. I can't stress that enough. That way you will start seeing more of, okay, officers being charged when they step out of line and stuff like that. I'm, a, I'm all for that. If you step out of line, there's consequences and repercussions that needs to happen. Get out there and vote. Vote, vote, vote. I absolutely 100% agree with you that we should get more involved on that local level. Um, I know for a fact that it also affects um, jury selection, for example, mm -hmm. you know, we want to have a makeup of the jury that best reflects our community. And uh, when you don't get involved and you don't vote, then you don't have a chance of getting called up for jury duty. And that's where I think we really need the brothers to show up, you know, because sometimes you get juries that are not empathetic or sympathetic mm -hmm. to our upbringing in our communities. You know, they, they don't understand it. So a lot of times we'll get these juries that, you know, <laughs> they're all for blood, man, and, and we have no defense. So I absolutely agree with you um, that we should get involved on that local level, man. That's yeah. critical. That is that is so important. And the thing about it is it, it's, it will help out tremendously. And just like I had a conversation with some some uh, civilians in reference to this, I'm like, so when was the – who <clears> – <throat> you could tell me all this stuff about what a cop should, could, should couldn't do, all this other good stuff. Okay, um, so who's your county commissioner? Uh, uh, crickets. 
When was the last time that you go, went, go to a town hall meeting for your county? Crickets. These are the things that you need to get involved in. I understand now, and 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 don't get me wrong, and, and I, I may rub people the wrong way with this, but I hate seeing followers and fake activists and fake people who are standing up for a cause because they're just following it because this is the this is what's going on right now. I hate seeing those type of individuals. Like right now, we see it now, even with this George this Floyd situation, we have all these people who are pro-black, pro-power to the people and all this other good stuff. But okay, where were you when Pookie was, was killing Ray Ray? Where were you when, when, when Ray Ray was, was raping Lisa and stuff like that? That's your community. That's black. That's black stuff. If you're pro-black, be pro-black all the time. Don't do it just because uh, a white man has, has killed a black man. I need you to care about your community 24-7. Get out there and do that type of stuff. So like I said, get out there, do your town hall meetings, see exactly what's going on in your community and not just what you see on CNN, Fox, and on Facebook and stuff like that. Don't be a fake activist. I hate that. That's what really burns my bridges. That's what we have a lot of going on right now because I, I'm a first, I call a spade a spade. I tell people right now, okay, well, well, what happened to your Trayvon Martin t-shirts and all this stuff like where, why are you not wearing those? Why are you not, you know, still trying to make change in that? Right. We as people, we jump on the bandwagon and wait for the next big thing to happen so we can be a part of something versus being an actual ambassador of change. I'm a firm believer being an ambassador of change in your own community. This happened in Minnesota, very unfortunate situation. So like say for instance, um, uh, I read where they, they tore up Atlanta. That had nothing to do with Atlanta. So right. you're tearing up the place just because, just to be doing something. What are you going to do to make your communities better? I understand what happened in Minnesota, very unfortunate. Go to Minnesota if you're able to do that and go protest up there. But don't just do something because it's the right thing to do or just because everyone else is doing it. So now I have to do this so I can make this Facebook status or take this perfect picture so I can look like I'm a part of something. Don't be fake. If you care, yes. care a hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's those folks that try to trivialize and they try to, you know, I guess it's a thing today um, to kind of insert yourself into these tragedies. And uh, I don't know if it builds a, a following for people online or you know they they get some kind of popularity. But you, you're right about that. I hate when people do that and they you know they chant the slogans, but they don't know really what the slogans mean. Absolutely. So I agree with you on that. One now, one thing you said that that would have struck a, a chord <laughs> with, with some people that I know personally. Mm -hmm. And you're right, but this is the the issue with it. When you said about uh, you know trying to check uh, uh, Pookie and Ray Ray in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. I myself, and I'm guilty of this. Full disclosure, I've been on the uh, the, the Blue Lives Matter sites myself. Mm -hmm. And over and over and over, you would see comments about, yeah, what happened to Floyd was bad, but what about black on black crime? Okay. And, a, and a lot of people in the community take issue with that because not only is it distracting from that particular case, but it's one of those cases where they're trying to say that black on black crime is something that, that black people should be more focused on, which is true. To me, black on black crime doesn't necessarily uh, exist crime exists. It just so happens mm -hmm. to be a black person committed to a black person because they're mm -hmm. in close proximity to each other. I don't think they're out there 
you know, doing anything to each other specifically because they're black. So I don't necessarily say black on black crime. I just say crime. But absolutely. you could flip the coin and say, well, there's a lot of white on white crime, even though a- absolutely, <laughs> you know, it, it happens. And, and that's where the narrative gets shifted, because now we're going mm-hmm. to get away from holding this guy accountable, accountable mm-hmm. for his acts and turn this into a, a black dude. Black people do more harm than white people think. And that's when the message gets lost. So just how you Absolutely. got the fake people that want to be pro-black when it's you know convenient, you also have people that want to change the narrative and the focus because they don't want to check you know themselves. So it's easier to point that finger. So people have issue with with uh, 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 headings or words like black on black crime or mm-hmm. what are you doing about the killing that happened last night? You're out there marching for the police mm-hmm. killing a brother, but you're not marching when the brother kill a brother. And I absolutely agree with you, the brother. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm considered pro-black myself, and I'm always on our own cases because we got a lot of work to do. But mm-hmm. people take offense when they hear people say it because it's almost like you're dismissive. You're, you're dismissing what's going on with these officers uh, brutalizing black men, which is a historic problem, and you're trying to shift it. So I'm not saying it myself personally, but I know brothers personally that would say it. It's like... Yep. They hate to hear that part. Yeah, the tr- the truth hurts, and like I said, I'm a person. I'm, I'm I speak the truth. I, I don't sugarcoat it, and I don't say stuff for popularity. I say stuff that's that's the actual truth. That the, from what I see from my perspective. Right. But who? But who's to sit there and say my perspective is right? That's just my opinion. Everyone has one. So my my issue with that situation is that if you are supportive, I need you to be supportive twenty four seven. I need you to care about I care about my community. That's why I'm so passionate about I'm so passionate about this because I care about my community. So the thing about it, just like everyone was hurting um from from George Floyd's death and just seeing that on video, but what about Miss Lucille who just lost her son from a drive-by suiting the pain that she has and things that I want people to march for her. I want people to march for justice for things of that nature as well. I want people to have that same energy to make their communities better. And I don't want to flip the narrative on this in reference to, okay, what about black people doing this and what white people doing that? Because like you said, crime is going to happen regardless. That's the reason why we have a law enforcement system. But the thing about it is what I want people to do is I want people to care about their own communities more and try to stop some of this stuff that's happened so we could prevent these things. Does a change need to happen in law enforcement? Absolutely. There needs to be a shift in law enforcement to the point where we are policing up these these individuals and trying to get control of this situation where we don't have stuff like this happen happening on a regular basis because it is just happening far too often. So even like I was telling some people recently when this situation first happened, and it's a shame, it, it burned me up just to see this situation unfold. And I'm a firm believer, and I'm, I'm glad these phones are coming into place and like what people are recording now, things, these videos are coming out now of, of situation that's been going on for years, but it just never had the opportunity to get that visibility because they didn't have these the technology that we have now. But on the flip side of that, if I was the average civilian and I saw what was going down with George Flo- George Floyd, I would have took that charge. I would have had to knock him off that person right there, and or even get his attention to the point where he's going to get off that man like that, especially when the man was screaming for help. So the thing about we're so quick to take out that phone and record instead of being that that pillar that changed for action. 
sometimes you can't take a, a, a nonviolent action and, and take a stance and do whatever you need to do to rectify the situation. I commend the person who recorded it because without that video, we would never known this would have happened. And the only thing we would have been able to go off of is an affidavit that was written by the hand of the officers that was involved. So I do agree. I do appreciate the video, but I do want more people to take actions if they see something versus just picking up a, a phone and start recording and going live and, and, and trying to be the first one to put the video out there. Be that change. Be that change in your community. I respect where you're coming from, but let's let's let me try to put myself in the shoes of one of those people on the scene. Mm-hmm. Who's to say that me trying to remove him from the neck of the victim wouldn't have caused for officers to try to shoot and kill me? <laughs> you know what I mean? If he's if he's that lost to where he's out there choking a the guy basically to death, then what's to say they wouldn't do the same thing to me? What's to say they wouldn't pull out their guns? and claim fear for my life and fire upon me saying that I'm about to hurt one of their officers. I, I understand. I understand. I, I have a, I have an old school mentality uh, to the point where I don't have that fear. And I'm not talking just because I'm lawful. I, I'm talking from, from upbringing to the point where I hate seeing people being treated the wrong way. Right. Um, so the thing about it is it, it has to do with, if you're a leader, if you have that leader mentality, that type of thing is not you're not even going to think about it. You're going to think about doing what's right. So every, every it's not in everybody. And I will sit there and say it's, it's not for everybody to sit there and do that, to actually be that person that said, you know what, I'm willing to take this charge or if they arrest me for interfering. I'm willing to take that. So it's not for everybody. I can't sit there and say I want people to do that because if it's not in you, it's not in you. Um, that's how people do get hurt because trying to do stuff outside of their norm. But if it was me, like I said, if it was me, not speaking from law enforcement, I'm speaking for as a person. If I would have saw that, I would have intervened. I would have. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't I can't say for sure what I would have done because as much as I would want it, want to take action, I would have been concerned that you got four four or more armed officers. You got the one guy that was pretty much guarding you know, the guy, you know, kneeling on the sus- on the uh, victim, the one guy threatening and telling people, don't come over. If you, if you come over here, you know, X, Y, Z is going to happen. Now, arrest, that's the least of my concerns, but I would have been more concerned mm-hmm. about, are they going to hurt me? Are they going to try to kill me? <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I'm not, you know, trying to be disrespectful. I understand that mm-hmm. officers have, you know, their lives on the line, but so mm-hmm. often we hear that whole fear for my life thing and, a lot of times to us, it just seems like here's another pass. We're going to give an officer to kill someone just by screaming fear for, you know, fear for my life. So if I tried to make any advance towards that officer, I would have been fearful. Like, man, they might try to take out their guns, claim fear for my life and kill me. And it's like, uh, I love the brother for being my brother. But, you know, how many people are going to do that for people they don't really know and put their actual lives on the line? Understood, and and I and I totally understand that. I, I get it, and it's it's very unfortunate. And if you now going back to what you're saying about the guy who was sitting there um, on lookout, if you really look at that video, I broke that video down. If you look at that video, he saw what was going on, and you could tell that he wanted to do something about it, but he was so in shock or scared to do whatever. You could look at his face. If you go back and look at that video, really look at the person. Just focus your attention on him. And his body language. 
I noticed the that. look that he was the look on his face. He really wanted to do something. He saw something wrong. He saw something going on in that situation. But like he said, you're part of the problem because you failed to do something. Mm-hmm. You took an oath to protect and serve. If you see something wrong, it's your obligation. It is your duty to sit there and correct situations that happen. You're not supposed to sit there and be quiet about something. You see something wrong because guess what? You are a part of the problem by not saying something. And you can look at his face and he could be a great guy. He could be a great guy in a very unfortunate situation to the point where that could have been his friend or a superior or whatever. I don't even know what the rank structure was. I think, to to be honest with you, Sarge, I think they are actually can't almost by marriage or something. I think he might be oh. a son-in-law type thing, something like that. You know, they're uh-huh. they're they're a lot more closer than just partners on the force. Okay, yeah. I see. I didn't I didn't get in the de- in the depths in reference to that, but you can tell just by his body language, you could tell that he saw something wrong and that he wanted to do something about it, but he didn't because right. he flinched for it. He actually flinched like he wanted to do something. I'm like wow, you can tell we broke the video down. And you saw, you can tell that he saw something wrong in that situation. Wow. And it's so, it's so unfortunate that he didn't act. Yep. It was very unfortunate. Yep. And, I, and I know what you said about the guys pulling out the phones, and I agree with you on that. But do you think in this case, had there not been a video that Chauvin or even McMichael in their case, do you think that there would have been arrests? No, absolutely not. And, and you know what? And, and for me, for me personally, if if I was, if I was the chief, I would fire all four of them for one simple thing. Neither one of those officers turned their body cameras on, and that's a policy. You violate department policy right there, because now you have nothing collaborating. What happens, especially if a person lost his life? If I'm sitting behind that desk and I'm the and, and I'm the chief or I'm the person in charge, director of that that organization, I would have fired both. I would have fired all four of them. Because not one of those officers had their body cameras on. Those body cameras, are, those body, those body cameras are there for for two reasons: for the public safety and for the officer's safety. So the thing about it is, you by not turning your camera on, you putting yourself in jeopardy of not having any type of evidence to collaborate your story. And now. I'm so thankful for businesses that has cameras and things because we were able to see different angles and stuff because from the first, the original video, we didn't even know it was two other officers back there. Right. You're right about that. But he caught that from different businesses and things of that nature. But a policy should be in the place. I don't know what that department policy is in reference to cameras. But if you have a camera, if you're on a situation, you're on a call, you need to turn that camera on. And not one of those officers had their body camera on, which was terrible. Because what, if that video was not, if that video did not surface, only thing we can go off with was that Derek Chavin, Chavin, whatever his name is, something's wrong with him. And I'm pretty sure that that police report would have say, stated that he was in fear for his life or absolutely. he was this or that and whatever, and everything would have been justified. And that's his affidavit. That is a sworn affidavit, which means that basically he's giving his, his testimony under oath when he writes that report, that is that he's sworn to tell the truth, the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Absolutely. And that's what we fear as citizens, because their word will always trump that. Well, at least in, in, from what I've always gathered, an officer's word seems to always trump the word of the average citizen on the street. 
So if he would have claimed he feared for his life and there was no video to show otherwise, he most likely would have gotten away with it, right? Yep, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that, especially if something was dirty. If something, if there was a bad, a bad shooting or a bad situation that happened, who's going to sit there and say, "Okay, well, hey, I was wrong. I shouldn't have did this." The first thing you're going to do is try to cover that up and try to cover your tracks, especially if you're one of those dirty individuals. So that's why it should be emphasized from the leadership when you are out here on these calls, or if you go to any situation that requires you there. The moment you get out your car, you need to turn, activate your body camera. Because like I said, that's going to protect you. And that's going to protect that shows the average citizen that guess what? That this is, we have, we have nothing to hide. And we're transparent about what we do. So if I, like I said, if I was that chief, I would say in that situation would have went down, I would have terminated them all from there, from that point. I would write that into my policy. I would get that with the police union and put that out there. If there's any situation where you don't have your camera on, even though we spend a lot of money for these cameras and stuff like that, for the software and to the, and the maintain these things, you don't use it, that would have been grounds for termination in my eyes. And what about those situations where they'll, they'll mute the audio portion of the tape? Like you can see the video, but they'll mute the audio. Is there a policy against that? Absolutely. And those officers will get, and officers do get, get in trouble for that. And that's make they, like I said, that's in their file. If a person sit there in the review turns around and say, okay, well, why did you mute this? It's on, whatever. A lot of officers get written up. They get suspended and things of that nature. That's actually in their files. Hmm. Depending yeah. on the severity of the situation, depending on the severity of the situation, it could be a, a fireable offense. But nine times out of 10, when it comes to stuff like that, it's more than likely it's a suspension without pay and all this other good stuff like that. If you get so many reprimands, you know, or whatever the case may be, you can't be terminated. Okay, now this is, you know, now to piggyback off of that, now I'm going to ask you a question. Now, you ain't got to answer this one. I know it's one of those touchy ones. Okay. I am curious to know this. In your professional opinion, why do you think officers mute the audio portion of the tape? They mute those things to try to sit there and, and protect the others. Those are the ones to protect their friends, protect whatever the case may be like that. My thing is, this, if you have, if you do things by the book, you don't need to mute anything. You don't need to do anything like that. If by muting those, muting those cameras, muting those microphones, or turning your cameras off, you have something to hide. And even if you don't, by, by, but by doing that, you put yourself out to the public that you are being shady and you have something to hide. So why put yourself in that situation? So by doing, like I said, by doing that, it's that's an actual problem. And once that camera goes on, that microphone starts recording, whatever like that, it needs to stay on. By muting, by taking it off, you putting yourself in a position where you can be judged and sit there and say, okay, something is actually going wrong, and you're doing something that you have no business doing. So, in your professional opinion, when they do that, that's most likely what's going on, right? They're doing something that's or planning or whatever, trying to cover up something but they're doing something in a way that wouldn't be considered the proper or even legal way to handle that situation. Or try, or try not to incriminate themselves by saying the wrong thing or whatever like that. Right. Right. Yes. I, I, I agree with that. And, okay. and I, I will sit there and tell that to any other law enforcement official that, you know what, why are you muting, why are you muting your, your microphone? Why are you turning your camera off? Right. I don't teach that. If I have a new person come in, 
I don't teach that. When that camera goes on, that camera goes on until the situation is over with. Because one, that's going to protect you from getting charges. That's going to protect you from everything. That camera is there for you as well and for the public. Right. And that needs to be emphasized by these, these law enforcement leaderships that guess what? The purpose of these cameras, the reason why we have our department with these cameras is that because we are transparent. We have nothing to hide. That's what I thought the purpose of the cameras were all about, to be honest with you. I thought yeah. that's the number one yes. reason we have them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for evidence and actually build a case on the individual. Because sure. some of these cases is, is to the point where it's, he, it's my, my word against the person's word. And so it's like, say, for instance, you have you've had officers getting complaints and stating that, OK, well, like male officers were saying where a, a female citizen saying an officer groped them or touched them inappropriately, which was not the case. But and it, and it all boiled down to was she may have been mad for that officer giving them a ticket. Right. And made a complaint. And so we all know the justice system, you're it's supposed to be you're innocent until proven guilty, but it's reversed. You're guilty until proven innocent. To be honest with you, yeah. No, so I hate to say that. So even right now, if if a person like for right now, so if a woman called the police department where you live at right now and saying that you raped them, they're gonna come arrest you. Yeah. With that, without just taking her side of the story, without whatever, until you are proven innocent, basically. So that's what happens a lot. So that's where these cameras come into play. So to rec- to sit there and ease that doubt that there was some sort of police brutality or some police wrongdoing that transpired. So, yeah, those those local leadership, that leadership of that departments, they need to very much emphasize that a lot more. Yeah, and, I, and like we were saying before, I hope that a lot of people get involved on that local level and try to push for more cameras uh, to be put into more departments across the country because not every mm-hmm. department has them. And Mm -hmm. I don't know what prevents uh, some from getting them. Maybe it's a financial uh, type situation, but I just wish that we all, all departments had them because I think they could really, uh, it makes the difference between, uh, you know, who's guilty or not or right or wrong. I think the camera don't lie. That's, that's for sure. You know, so it could help you in, in, in more ways than one. So I really, I really hope that all departments, uh, could find a way to get these things. Um, I got another delicate question for you. Again, you don't have to answer it, but okay. this is a some this is a common, uh, you know, uh, thought among the community. Is there an unwritten no snitch policy within officers? Absolutely not. There is no such that that mythical thing about the code. That's that's a myth. Because, like I said before, I am not doing, I'm in law enforcement, been in law enforcement for a while. I'm not doing anything to jeopardize my financial situation or jeopardize my, my pension and things of that nature. I've arrested other cops. I've arrested people in political position. If you do something wrong, you, I believe you need to be, you need to be um, accountable for those actions. So those people who give cops a pass, you, you're wrong. You're wrong. Now, have a, there's a such thing called officer discretion, and we do use officer discretion, but I use officer discretion for other police officers and for civilians. Rather, like, say, for instance, if I catch someone speeding, if I catch another cop speeding, of course, 
I'm going to, I'm going to lie to you behind why, Hey, why are you speeding? Whatever like that. I caught a Lieutenant in another department, one of the neighboring departments doing 90 miles an hour. And I, and I lit in tears behind because the thing about it is what would you do if your other officers was doing that crap? Now, if he, he was totally, um, respectful and things that apologize and things of that nature, whatever like that. And I let him go. And I've done the same thing for civilians as well to the point where, Hey, what, why are you going this fast and things like that? So there's a such thing as officer discretion when it comes down to stuff like that. But when a crime has been committed or something like that, no, there's no such thing as a code. Absolutely not. You, if you put yourself out there, you are putting your, if you come, if you were comfortable with putting your job and your career and things and your money on the line like that, by all means do what you got to do. But, um, but Jack is not doing that. Right. And a lot of other officers feel the same exact way. All right, y'all. Y'all, y'all heard it from the Sarge himself. <laughs> there, there is no such thing, because that's I something lock, I will lock him up. I will lock <laughs> another police officer up. I have done it. I've charged other police officers with DUI, wow, uh, other wow. crimes and things of that nature. I'm not sweeping that under the road because, like I said, we are held at a higher standard. Exactly. So we need to we need to be held at that standard. We do. I really, I truly respect you for that, brother, because. You know, I, I, I just wish there were so many more like you because we just have this impression that people or officers or sergeants like you are so far and few or so few and that the majority don't have that moral compass, you know, mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate we have this mistrust, but we do. And yeah, it's unfortunate because I think the majority of police really want to do the right thing. Now, Generally speaking, do you think that white officers fear black male suspects more than any other race? Um, I, personally, I will. I will hope not. I, I really would. I will hope not. Um, if and I, I'm, I'll be on record of saying this: if you fear a certain race more than others, you're in the wrong position. You're in the wrong profession, and you need to reevaluate some things and maybe think about picking another career field. Everyone should be treated equally. So if I pull a, if a white officer pull a black, uh, a black individual, he should be treated the same way as if he pulled over a white uh, individual. So in my heart, I will, I will, I will hope that that's not the case in reality. That could be the case. And I'm not going to sugarcoat that by saying that, you know, yes, he, he may, he may or may not in, in, in all actuality because I'm not in that person's head. So, um, but if that is the case, then I, I will hope and pray that, um, that they find another p- profession because right now that fear is what causes individuals to get hurt. So saying that, would you suggest that black suspects or uh, traffic law violators, would you suggest that they behave even more cautiously if they're going to be contact, uh, confronted or ca- contacted by police on these traffic stops or these calls, do you think that we should behave as black men a little more cautiously or change our behavior yes, in any I, type of way? Yes, I, I, but the thing about it, I tell anybody the same thing. If you are in a, if you're on a traffic stop, if you're on a traffic stop, I tell anybody whether you black, white, Hispanic, whatever the case may be. Do not have court on the side of the road because you're going to lose that battle. If you have, if you, if you feel like someone has violated your rights 
or has pulled you over unjustly and things that were treated you unfairly, make do what you need to do, finish up the traffic stop, document it, record it, whatever you need to do, and go report it. Do it that way. Do not get into an argument and trying to, to dispute laws and regulations, stuff on the side of it. That is not the place to have court. That's the reason why we have courthouses for that. The system is in place for that. If you have an issue, report it, but do not get into those confrontations. Now, with me having a black son and things of that nature and some of the things that goes on in, in life, because I have been racially profiled on, and even though I was in law enforcement. So I, I do tell black men and black women to sit there. One tip I will tell them is that your registration and your insurance, you need to buy a clip and put your registration and your insurance on your sun visor. That way you're not reaching over to do anything or give anybody any indication that you reaching for anything like that as well. Because, you know, as police officers, we, it's, it's, that is a, a very touchy situation when you're doing traffic stops, because first of all, I'm pulling over someone that I'm, I've never, I don't know. I haven't searched you. So I don't know if you have any guns, knives, bombs, whatever the case may be in your possession. So it's already a tense situation. So to ease that, have your information readily available and just follow all commands. As long as there's no one's not violating your rights, just don't have that court on the side of the road and just go from there. Yeah, I totally agree with that one. But would you suggest, I mean, I know in my case, and I'm not going to say I've been pulled over a lot, but the times that I have, I like to practice uh, my Fifth Amendment rights. I don't mm -hmm. like to really talk a lot at all. Okay. So would you say me not speaking much is something to trigger an officer into thinking I'm trying to be combative or I'm trying to be disrespectful? And if so, what would be the next procedure he would take? What to take me out of the car and you know do the whole you know search thing or yes, and has no reason we, yeah, yeah, probably have probable cause to do all that stuff. So a lot of times right. if if we ask like say for instance, if we pull up to you and we ask, okay, um, just ask some general questions, whatever like that. If you want to exercise your Fifth Amendment right, you have every right to do that. That's why those rights are there. Um, but at the same time, it goes back to the point where I don't know what you have in that in that car. So for my safety and for your safety, I will pull you out the car and have you just come back to the car, or whatever. You don't have to talk to me if, if there's any type of uh, citation or or warning needs to be written. We could do it that way. That way. I'm getting you out of that environment because I don't know what's in that car. So the, that part, that part about it is we don't have to have any communication. I can ask you questions. You can tell me, Hey, I don't want to talk and things of that nature. That's fine. And you have every right to do that. But for our safety, because our overall goal is the main is to protect and serve, but we all want to go home to our families, just like you all want to go home to your families as well. So the next way to do that is actually just maybe pull that individual out the car and go from there. But I have to have probable cause to search a vehicle. So if, if it's just for a tent violation or for speeding, whatever like that, I don't have probable cause to search that vehicle unless I see something in plain view or I smell some type right. of narcotics or you give us some indications that that maybe there's some narcotics or something that's present, things of that nature. But, you know, that's it. A normal traffic stop, take it as a traffic stop, do what you need to do, follow the commands and stuff like that, and just go about your way. And like I said, if you have been treated unfairly and things of that nature, make that complaint. So silence wouldn't be considered a suspicious act, right? No, absolutely not. Because you're not getting, because you're out the right, you're, you're exercising your fifth amendment right. So you don't, that's not whatever the case may be like that. But if he gives, that officer gives you a, 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 a lawful command to exit the vehicle, whatever, 
do that. You still can be quiet, but at least do that. But don't sit there and say, I'm not getting out. I'm not doing this because now you're escalating the situation. That's that having that coil yeah. on the side of the road. Get out the vehicle, be whatever like that. If you ask, hey, can I search your car? Because a lot of officers ask that, can I search your car? You have every God-given right to say no. You have every right to do that. And they can't search a vehicle. They could bring a dog and do a free air sniff or whatever like that. Okay, if they don't, if they don't indicate, they can't search a vehicle. So that's how it is. But so you have you have your rights and and any good cop don't want to violate your rights because guess what? We want to be we want to treat people the same way as we want to be treated. So and that that comes back down to that bad training again. So we want to make sure these individuals are trained properly and actually treating um our our, our civilians the with the proper respect and courtesy that they deserve. Right. I, I agree with what you're saying. And I do wish a lot of brothers and sisters would not engage in a lot of the, the, the verbal uh, exchanges or the insults back and forth or, you know, trying to be combative in that way. I understand that some may think they're, you know, speaking up for themselves, but I can see where it really would escalate the situation mm -hmm. and you're not going to win. No. You really you won't. You don't. <laughs> you know, and, I agree with you. And, and I tell people this right here: the, the go out and make an investment. Go spend. I know we spend money on different things, but go out there and make an investment on a dash cam. Because if you get pulled over, record it. You're recording right then and there. So that's for your safety as well. So if, if just like a person sit there and say, some of these dash cameras actually record your speed. They record your all that good stuff as well. So if you get pulled over for mm -hmm. someone saying, okay, you were speeding and you know you wasn't. You have your dash cam right there that's recording, that's recording your speed and things of that nature. So, and just so happens it's for your, your protection as well. So if an officer's there treating you different, badly, you're recording that. And you don't have to have something in your hand as far as like your cell phone trying to record and things of that nature because it's already recorded. So I would tell anybody, go invest that little bit of money to record, you know, that, for that extra level of safety. And that's only going to help you in your insurance policies as well. Because if someone hits you and do a false claim against you, you can have that documentation there as well. So it, it can help you from the um, from road cops, or and it can also help you on your insurance policies as well. So spend that extra money for your extra level of protection. Yeah, brother, that's great advice. I, I tell brothers all the time to do that. Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, I tell them to do it all the time. I just didn't know how it was viewed from a police officer's point of view. Like if we activate the camera on a stop, would they take that to be something as us trying to challenge them or, you know, something of that nature? So no, I, I, I fully, I I fully, I fully respect that. And the thing about it is we, we want you to do that because guess what? That's going to help us get rid of those bad cops that we don't see on a daily basis. Because the thing about it is when you're out there patrolling, you're out there patrolling by yourself. If you're a highway patrol, this thing for us, let's, let's talk about highway patrol for a second. Highway Patrol, their office is their, their cars. There's no going back to the station. Once you go and get in your car, that's your office. And you out there, you have so many miles of, of, of road that's yours by yourself. So you don't have a person that's out there over their backs looking to see what they're doing and stuff. So a lot of these individuals may be out there doing rogue stuff that they're, no one is seeing because they're out there by themselves. They're patrolling by themselves. So get the camera recorded. So we can so we can know because a lot of times we don't even know what these officers are doing because people don't see what they're doing. So record it and it helped it will help us weed out those individuals who we need to get out the profession. That's great advice, brother. I mean, I I, I totally I hope everybody listening does that. 
really invest into those dash cams, especially because, I, I, like you said, I think they could do so much good in so many different areas other than trying to catch a bad mm-hmm. cop. There, there's a good reference. It's a good way to record information, and that way you could kind of protect yourself from all type of issues. Uh, you know, like you said, with the insurance policies. Uh, you know, you can save yourself the trouble uh, by just showing the, the video rather than arguing about who hit who or whatever the case may be. I think cameras today, they're just a way of life. And if we could just utilize them in smart ways, I really think they could save us a lot of trouble and they could prevent a lot of incidents. So uh, I think that's great advice, brother. I really, I really appreciate you being a police officer encouraging us to do that because I didn't know exactly for sure how officers viewed us, you know, installing cameras in our vehicles and, and recording them with phones. I really didn't think they viewed that in a positive light, but it, it sounds good to come uh, from an officer now that encourages you to do that. Let me tell you this. If, if a person has a problem with that, they probably have something to hide. They're probably doing something, uh, whatever. If a person is, is doing their job to the best of their abilities with nothing to hide, they would not care being recorded. They would tell you their name, their badge number, their ID number, whatever the case may be like that with nothing to hide. So it will be no issue. And if you if you look at some of these shows that like, say for instance, Live PD for one, Live PD has some, some good cops, but you know what the thing about it is the camera is following them 24-7, so it's documenting everything. So the first time you, um, um, they, they sit there and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm recording you. The officer turn around and say, well, I'm recording you as well for, for my safety and your safety as well, which is a good thing. Because now it's protecting me and it's protecting the civilian as well. So guess what? It, it, it's, if you have nothing to hide, if, you, if you're doing things by the book, it would be no issue if, if somebody's actually recording you or recording a traffic stop, whatever like that. It would be no issue. Makes sense to me. <laughs> Makes total sense to me. I mean, uh, it, I, I just don't see the, the harm. I don't see the bad in being able to record these interactions. I think we, just, we could just save a lot. Of, of hassle, of a lot of problems. But I just say, hey, you're recording, I'm recording, okay. The camera don't lie. Like I said before, the camera don't lie. I can have a version, you can have a version, but the camera's version, that's that's mm-hmm. the one. So now, I now definitely what encourage Some officers that. will tell you to put your phone down because actually your phone can be considered a weapon as well. So if he's pulling you out that car and you're going to be in close proximity of him, him or her, they may tell you to put your phone down. Which is, I, I understand that portion of it because, like I said, that can be used as a weapon. Because if you strike somebody the right way with a phone, you could do some damage. So you put your phone down. But that way, if you got those dash cameras, you don't have anything in your hands. No one can sit there and say, okay, well, they can take it the wrong way because nothing is in your hand and you're actually recording. So that's a better way of doing things versus having that cell phone and recording on a traffic stop. Now, if you have somebody else in the car recording, by all means, that's fine as well. But like I said, I would strongly um, suggest that people go ahead and invest in those dash cams. They have front and rear cameras. I strongly suggest that that people would do, uh, excuse me, to go ahead and invest in that. And it's like I said, like you said before, it's going to help you in a lot of different ways, not only on that traffic stop, but in life, period. And you don't think for the most part that cops, when they see you activate that, will try to pull you out of the car? Uh, just so things wouldn't get recorded as well. I I, I, will, I don't see a problem with it. I have no reason. You, okay. And the thing about it, if you're polite, if you're polite and and the officer's polite, there's no reason for you to get out the car. But the moment you're sitting there and you're not you're not being you're not being compliant and things of that nature, so 
Um, especially if you did something wrong and if you're not being compliant or if you're being, if you're agitated, whatever like that. So yes, we're going to pull you out that car because we don't know what's in there. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I, I mean, that's what this is all about trying to understand it from the perspective of the mm -hmm. officer. Um, you know, we, 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 a lot of times we overlook that and you guys, you know, your safety is important as well. You don't know what we have in the car. You're correct about that. So, I can understand why officers do what they do when they ask uh, for uh, drivers to get out of the car, try to separate them from the car. I totally get that. So I never really had a problem with that per se, unless it just felt as if though they were doing it for, you know, little, you know, reasons just to kind of, you know, get under our skin or sometimes you could just kind of sense a, a person that's just a little over aggressive with no reason. It's just no provocation, provocation. He's just, that type of officer and sometimes it could be annoying but you know we got to do what we got to mm -hmm. do and you know try to keep keep the tempers down and you know get this thing done as as, as smooth and quickly as possible and go out about our business so yeah. it, you know I, it's good advice though the, the dash cameras mm -hmm. definitely that's great advice absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. Well, I'm gonna hit you with about, uh, I got about three quick questions for you. You can give me, you know, three quick short answers on these. And then we're gonna try to get into some ways we could uh, solve some of these problems that okay. we're having uh, with community relations. Uh, the first question I have for you is, is there, and I think you touched on this earlier, but we'll, you know, revisit it. Is there a such thing as racial profile? Yes. Yes, it is. And it happens and it's, and it's terrible. And it happens on a daily basis. It happens um, pulling people over by what they drive or, or what their skin color is. That happens. And, and it's very unfortunate. And that's one reason why um, these uh, supervisors and, and, and leadership in the departments, they need to start looking at um, stats. Like, say, for instance, um, we, we have the abilities to look at tickets and look at the demographics of the people who who uh, you pull over, the license and all that, and the tickets that you write, there's ways that all that stuff can be tracked. So the leadership needs to get a lot more involved in reference to um, the demographics of people who, who the officers are encountering and things of that nature. Now, if you work in a predominantly black neighborhood, of course, you're gonna pull over predominantly black people, whatever like that. But at the same time, if there's a good mixture in there, why are you not pulling over or why are you not enforcing these same laws to everybody? So that's the little thing that the leadership has to do um, to, to keep tracking and try to keep things in, in, in order. But yes, there is a such thing called racial profiling. It happens and it's very unfortunate. And that's the type of stuff that we need to get out of out of the, um, the law enforcement community. I really do appreciate your honesty on that one. Uh, uh, you know, some people you ask, they'll say, hey, it's not racial profiling, it's just good police work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of that may be true. I, I've been racially profiling you know, some of myself. Us. Like I said, when it come down to it, I got pulled over because of my car, because of the car I drove. I was in the car with my mother. It was at, um, at, back in my hometown. I was in the car with my mother, and like I said, I, I saw the police officer and things that was sitting over there, and I saw him pull out. And with me being a, a law enforcement, I know I'm going to make sure I do everything, seatbelt on, all traffic um, signals was used. I stopped at all stop sign, made a complete stop. And I told my mother, when my mother was sitting next to me, I said, Mom, he just, this guy's going to pull me over. And sure as all the what, my, the lights went on, he pulled me over. And so the cop walked up to me, 
and he said, um, introduce himself. He said, the reason why he pulled me over was because um, I ran a stop sign, which was definitely not the case. I got pulled over just because of my car. And um, so Ooh. we had a discussion and things of that nature. You know, I'm not going to sit there and, and, and fuss and cuss and things. And here's my license. Here's my registration, things like that. But then I asked him what I, what I do. And he told me I ran a stop sign. And I, I instructed him I did not. And he said it's on camera. And I request. I said, well, I would like to see that. And about four more cops came and um, for, for a stop mm. sign just because of my car. And um, a black officer arrived. And he told me, he came straight out and told me, he said, um, uh, he said, the reason why they pulled you over, because they saw that car in town. They wanted to know who was driving that car, whatever like that. That's what was told to me Ooh. by a black officer that was there. And once they found out I was in law enforcement, they gave me my information back and told me to have a nice day. Never saw that that tape where I where I um I, I ran that stop sign, which which I know I did not do because I told my mother I saw him sitting there and yeah. I made sure I come to every um all stops and things of that nature. So it do happen and it's very unfortunate. I hate it and I hate it for people who have to uh endure that because like I say, even me being in law enforcement, I've endured it myself. And that's what we need to get out of out yeah. of the system. We need to get that out of the system. We need better training and we just need better quality of officers that are out there. Yeah, because I was wondering if that was a thing, you know, being an uh, unfamiliar car, a town you've never been in before, do you draw attention mm -hmm. to yourself? And I guess that's confirmation right there that it happens. So I appreciate your honesty on that one, Sarge. Um, do officers trust us? Yeah, I do. I trust everybody. I give everyone the same amount of trust, whatever the case may be. Am I cautious on certain situations? Yes, I have to be. I have to keep my guard up for the simple fact of because I am in a dangerous profession to the point where every time I step out of that out of my um my house and go to work, there's a possibility I don't go home at night. So you hear you're hearing officers getting killed on a regular basis and things of that nature. So we are in a dangerous profession to the point where we are in a job where we go to danger. We don't run from danger. We go to it. If gunshots are, are being fired, we go to it. If someone is breaking into your house or causing crime or causing any type of havoc, we go to it. So the thing about it is I trust everybody, but at the same time, my, my, my levels of concern are always up to the point where I have to make sure I'm being safe and things of that nature. So um, we, we, I trust everybody. The, I can't speak for everybody else, but I do trust everybody. And I give everybody the benefit of the doubt because that's what I would like to be. Now, if you give me other indications for me to go ahead and start subtracting my levels of trust from you then that we're going to start going from there and we'll start taking things a different route but I, I initially I approach everyone and treat everybody with dignity and respect and um, like I said your attitude and your actions will determine um, what transpires from there even if I arrest you I'm still going to arrest you in a in a in a matter where I'm not going to belittle you or degrade you or things of that nature so you if you break the law whatever the case may be you know you got you got it. It's consequences for that, and you just go with it from there. Yeah, that's understandable. That's fair. I mean, I I don't have any issue with that. Uh, uh, no issue with what you said at all. So I totally uh, get where you're coming from, and it makes sense. Should citizens and public video more? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I was I will say this: if you are videoing, make sure you're in a public place. And you're not interfering 
with the the actual traffic stop or the situation. Don't interfere with to the point it's like if it's just a regular traffic stop, don't get all in the way and stuff like that because you can be charged with interference and things of that nature. So get in a safe place and just record. If you see a, a officer pull over a group of blacks or whatever the case may be like that in, in your neighborhood, if they're not recording, you can sit up and record for your own being. Record. I have no problem with that. None whatsoever. Because that's going to keep people accountable. It's that- going to keep the, the, the good cops accountable. It's going to keep the bad cops accountable and things. When they know someone's out there watching, they're going to be less susceptible to do things that are, are, are not against policy, um, company policies and procedures. Is there ever a case where they can confiscate oh, your phone can, from recording? Uh, it can be seized. Now, if you have, if you documented some stuff that, that needs to be evidence, your phone can be legally seized for that. Um, it's, it's procedures that needs to take place from that. But yes, it can be seized for evidence. If, like say for if you witness a murder or whatever the case may be, it's on your phone, it can be, it can be uh, subpoenaed to be seized. Right, but as far as just videoing the uh, actions of an officer responding to uh, a traffic stop or some type of a, a criminal act, if they're just re- recording the officers responding to that, is that a situation where they can actually confiscate your phone, recording them responding to these no, calls? They shouldn't, they shouldn't be. Res- they shouldn't actually do nothing like that unless there is some type of crime that was actually committed and, and a crime that was committed. Or, but for the most part, those officers should be recorded anyway on their body cameras. They should be recorded. And I just, I just right. wish we get to a point where. Um, that there we have some type of system where we could automatically turn these things on. Um, we we I know some circumstance where when when you activate your your emergency lights and things, the car, your your camera your car start recording. But we need to have some sort of um, I don't know how we're going to do that, but some to the point where we're not relying on people to turn their cameras on because a person may literally literally forget. Because they're so they're so pumped up of going to this call or the adrenaline is pumping, they may forget to turn it on. But we just need to come up with some type of mechanisms. I don't know what that is. Uh, I'm not the technical guy, but we need to have something to the point where it's a it's a backup to the point where if an officer fit, uh, forgets to turn this camera on, that it automatically turns on or whatever like that. I don't know. I don't know how we can do that, but we need to come up with something. Well, you know how fast technology these days moves, so I'm sure that's just right around the corner. <laughs> it's coming, so that would be helpful. Um, so we've um, discussed a lot of the issues, a lot of the uh, current event uh, stories, I guess you could say, uh, where we had some problems with police interaction with community members. We've had, uh, you know, we discussed some tragic stories. But now we've come to the part where we could kind of kick around real quick some solutions, uh, some things that we can do to try to help improve the situations that we have today. So what are some of the ways we as community members can help ease the tension between officers and its citizens and their citizens? Um, one way, just having an open conversation, open dialogue and things of that nature. Um, for these individuals, for people in your community, request that your leadership talks to you in these open forums, these town halls and things that, or, or attend these town halls to, to voice your concerns and, and things. If you're having issues with officers patrolling in your neighborhoods and things of that nature in reference to racial profiling or things of that nature, 
we can't fix anything if we don't know what's going on. So just because uh, something happens and if it's not coming back to the to the top of the, the food chain, they can't fix something. Just like if there's any type of problem, we can't address the problem if we don't know what's going on. So I, I encourage individuals to get out to these town halls, request to talk to your leadership, re- request to talk to your, your department leaderships and things of that nature to address these concerns and actually come up with. And I'm a firm believer if you have a problem, come up, give. I tell anybody, if you bring if you come to me with a problem. Come up with three solutions that you want to see come out of this situation. Come not only to address the problem, but come up with, I want to hear your solutions. What would be a good way to fix this? Or how would you think about fixing this? Because it's all about, we're here, we're here to serve the community and protect and serve the community. So we work for the community. So we want to hear that. So like I said, we're communication, communication, communication. So this, um, we got to get back to the point where uh, we feel comfortable with our law enforcement officials um, and not scared to talk to them or whatever like that. So that's, that's more, we need some things that we need to do better on our parts is to, um, to start building that trust with our, 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 our communities and things of that nature. So, like I said before, when this interview to the point where the way I do that is that I don't need necessarily have to write you a ticket. Let's have a conversation where I'm here to educate and help, Versus just taking your hard-earned money from you because you made a mistake of doing something like that. So it's different things that we need to do. Maybe hosting community events and things like that. To, that way we can go ahead and bring the community and law enforcement together. That way we can get on the same sheet of music. See, right there, you touched on one of my ideas. You know, I actually thought that uh, it might be helpful because many times you might have men and women that are officers that don't live in a lot of the neighborhoods they mm-hmm. patrol or they're not very familiar with them. So maybe you could have, um, you know, little get togethers, maybe even cookouts even to where police officers, they come out plain clothes. They're not, you know, in uniform. They're just regular off the clock Joe. They come out to the community. They meet members of the community and they have talks with them and let them know like, look, we're not out to get you. or We're not out to try to violate your rights and things like that. Let me explain to you the nature of the job and what we're here to do. And, you know, just see my face and become more familiar with me and get out there and play ball with the kids or shake hands, or kiss babies or whatever, and just become more familiar with the people that you're going to be serving. So that way they can develop some type of trust with you, you know, kind of like back in the days when they used to have cops walking the beat in certain neighborhoods and they become more familiar. And I think that way you can humanize the officers and you could, understand that, look, you know, there's just regular people like us doing the job. And, you know, you're still going to have your segment of people that may not have that trust. But with that said, at least you can see that the officers are making an effort to try to uh, connect with the community instead of being these people from out of town or out of, you know, out of side of the neighborhood that's coming in, that's trying to, you know, knock heads in and, you know, implement these different type of rules on us. At least let people understand that these are people that's out to help us, that's that's really out to serve the community. So we can have some positive interaction by having, you know, I don't know how often we would do it, monthly or quarterly or whatever. Just have people come out, plain clothes, they can even bring their families out and just meet members of the community and, and get more, you know, attached to the community that they're serving. So that was kind of one of the ideas I had that might help to improve some of our perceptions of how some of these officers can be towards 
people within our community. And when I say our community, a lot of times I'm talking black community, urban communities, you know, but just kind of, you know, humanize the officers and let us get to know them a little bit more. You know, I, that's just one of the ideas that I Bro, I would tell you this around. right here. That happens more than you think. But see, a lot of a lot of times people don't, like say for their community events, your leadership, if you have a good police chief or, or, or sheriff or whatever like that, they're going to be there or they're going to have a representative there. They're going to have some people there. That happens a lot, but a lot of times people have this this stigma with police officers to the point where they don't go unless they get unless they're getting something out of it like okay maybe free food or whatever the case may be a lot of times people just not going to go if they're not getting something <laughs> out of which is very unfortunate this is your time to sit there and voice your concerns and actually see what goes on in your community and that goes back to what i said before if you really care about your community you will be doing things of this nature to actually try to make your community better and not trying to say, okay, well, I'm not going because they don't have food or right. I'm not going to do whatever, or trying to get something. What am I getting out of this? What you, what you should be getting out of it is that to, to the point where you want to make your community better, your community is getting better, and you have leadership that cares about your community and making steps to make it better. So it does happen a lot. It, do it need to happen more? Yes, I agree. You do have individuals who patrol areas where they don't live in. Yes, that happens. That ball means that that happens. Um, and, and I can't. We can't force a person to live in the community where he lives. We can't force that. But at the same time, you you need to have some sort of. Right. Um, if you're a good cop, you got relationship in your community. You, the the people like right now, you know where you live, wherever you live at right now, you know you have good cops there. I'm pretty sure you know good cops and, and things of that nature, and they are doing things the right way. And those yeah. are the individuals that are out there trying to build that relationships and stuff like that. But you get that one road cop that ruins everything that those good cops are out there trying to do to build those relationships because of one bad seed in the, in the freaking pile. So um, it's, it's very unfortunate that right. that happens, but you do that, that kind of sets those, though, all that work that those officers did over that course of time, building that relationship, it kind of sets them back a little bit because of the actions of, of a bad individual. And I think that kind of goes back to what we discussed earlier. I mean, if the public can see that that bad individual is being dealt with by the department and they're mm -hmm. going to be removed if need be from the department, if the public can see that, I think that will help mm -hmm. to gain that trust. If, if it seems as if though that officer continues to operate in that manner and there's nothing happening to him, then I think that's where the distrust will continue. So, for, for us, perception is reality. We have to see uh, something being done to really believe that departments are caring about uh, where we're coming from. And that one cop could, you're right, he could ruin it all for everybody. But if he's removed, I think that will help in the favor of the department. And at least the, the community would understand, hey, they're doing what they can to get those guys out of there. So we can't be mad at that, you know. So I, I really, I, I hope that uh, these later, these latest incidents that we've been dealing with, with the protesting and all, I really hope that that's going to galvanize the communities more and energize them to want to get more involved to put on some of these uh, gatherings that we've been talking about just a minute ago. I hope that these latest incidents could help in that manner to where we want to get more involved because if it could prove to people that 
you know, if we don't get involved, this this thing could continue. I mean, we could continue to lose, you know, the George Floyds of the world if we don't get involved. So I'm hoping that these tragedies can do, you know, some good and try to energize people into getting involved. So that way we can have a better relationship with police officers and reduce the chances that we could have guys coming in and, and being fearful and, and, and you know, mm-hmm. killing people just based out of and, fear. And for those, you know? and so, I would say for those guys who, who are walking in fear, and um, I think we had a situation in South Carolina where a, a, a officer shot a person because he was in fear. If you are that much in fear, you, you're in the wrong profession because this is a dangerous job. If you can't handle that fear, if you can't channel those emotions, I, I, and nothing against you, I have nothing – Nothing, whatever, but you need to find another job. Because if, if, you're, if your reaction is, first thing your reaction is to pull your gun and shoot versus to assess the situation and see what levels of force that needs to happen, you're in the wrong profession because things can drop at the, can go bad at the drop of the dime. And if you're on edge that much like that, you need to find another job. Just be honest with you. It's just, it's just not the job for you. This job is not meant for, for everybody. Everybody cannot do this job. Everybody's not going to be able to put their life on the line for someone who they don't know and be fine with that. So I understand a lot of people want to do this job until they start doing this job. And I, and, and I tell anybody, you know, um, if people say, well, a person should do this, a person should do that. I, I would love for if you have an issue or if you want to see what happens, go to your local department and request a ride along and see exactly what goes on behind the scenes with officers and stuff like that. It will change your opinion on a lot of things in reference to what happens and what goes on on a daily basis. I encourage everybody, go do a ride along. Go see what happens. Absolutely. You know, I really think that's a good strategy. I mean, I absolutely mm-hmm. uh, think we should know uh, more of what's going on from your end of it. So I totally agree with that. And for the most part, I think, just personally speaking, I think they're really good the majority of mm-hmm. cops out there are good people trying mm-hmm. to do the right thing. I really do. You know, so I could empathize with uh, where a lot of officers are coming from. So I get it. And I'm hoping that more people in the community get it. And I think the more we get to see what we what we view as justice being mm-hmm. done when it comes to the bad seeds, I think we'll get more closer to that point to where we could trust more and it won't be as mm-hmm. tense. I mean, I know it's still going to exist. You know, we have a history, but, you know, I, I just really think that if the more we try to bridge that gap for future generations, I think we could come around to fixing this thing the best we can. And we won't have a situation where we think just because we're black walking mm-hmm. outside, we're about to get hunted down. You know, I wouldn't want any uh, person to feel like that, but especially with the history that we have with race in this country, um, you know, looking a certain way sometimes, you know, people fear dressing a certain way and they don't want to get it from, you know, I know there's uh, gang activity in neighborhoods you got to worry about, but you also have that situation where you got to worry about cops too. So I, I, I just wish that we can get to the point to where we won't mm-hmm. have to be so fearful to live in our communities or catch hell mm-hmm. from either side. And one, one thing I will say about you know? that, brother, is that, so, um, like I said, this the situation that happened between Mr. Mr. Floyd, it was, it was very unfortunate. It should not have happened. But one good thing I, I think that will come from this is that more people are spe- will, will speak up. And what I, one thing I have that has really um, touched my heart 
is that I see a lot of my my white brothers and sisters who are speaking out on this situation in reference to um, Black Lives Matter and how you know this situation is 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 bad. It was terrible. They're speaking out on these bad cops and stuff like that. So now. I really do think that this situation is, is actually going to um, be a landslide change. I really do believe that in my heart to the point where people people are now going to start speaking up because now, like I said, those four officers that was out there, three of the four or whatever the case, they could have been some good guys, but they failed to do what they needed to do. So I think that's going to be an eye-opening situation for other officers to the point where, hey, if I don't speak up, if I don't do the right thing, Guess what? I could be in that same situation because of Jimmy or 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 Lisa, whoever's over that cop over there doing the wrong thing, and I'm not speaking up and doing my my portion of it. I can be charged criminally. I can lose everything that I work for, and things like that. So I think that's going to be a great thing that's going to happen. I do think we're going to have a landslide change when it comes down to that with the mindset of other officers as well. You know what, brother? I- Actually, I agree with you on that. I really do. There's something different about this mm-hmm. go around when it comes to these protests. I, I just sense something different now. I sense that we're really going to start seeing some change now. So I agree with you on that one. I, I feel it. Just think, you, you have know, cops you know, out there marching. You. you have cops out there taking you know, so. knees and stuff like that. And to be honest with you, this is some of the things that some of these cops want to do in the, be- in the, in, in the beginning when all of this stuff started. But they probably didn't know how didn't know how to do it, or didn't know really? if wow. it was okay to do it, whatever like that. Because, like I said, some of these cops, we have hearts, we have families, we 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 are human beings. We have a a, a sense of pride, and the thing about it is, you know, we have to follow procedures, and we have to follow rules and stuff that's governed before, uh, before us. So now, a lot of these officers are speaking out. Right. They're posting these videos. They're putting themselves out there, speaking out in uniform, saying, okay, this is wrong. Very emotional about these situations and things of that nature. And that is a first. You have never seen that before. Exactly. I agree with you there. <laughs> I've never seen that before. I've never seen that. And some of these officers, they're tired of it. Because the thing about it is, you know what? The reason why they're tired of it is because now, their lives are in danger even more now because now when this every time something happens, it's you always hear the term "f the police" and then the police are complete targets now. So these individuals they're tired of it because now you're putting their lives in, in jeopardy because they're out there trying to do the right thing. And now because you don't want to do the right thing, now I may not go back home to my family because of your actions. So now these cops are actually getting out here and say, you know what, enough is enough. If you're a bad seed, I saw one guy, he made a video. He said, if you're a bad seed, take your badge off. And he put some explicit words there. But he was so emotional about that because you're putting us in danger. And that's exactly what happened. You're Mm. putting us in danger because you don't want to do the right thing. Wow. Dare I say we're starting to see some progress now, brother. (laughs) You know, so I, I... On that note, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. I really do appreciate you coming on and giving your perspective because I think it's important that a lot of us uh, in the community, we, we just had to know, uh, you know, how an, an officer uh, is likely to think about these mm-hmm. uh, different tragedies that we've heard about. And we also, it was important to Absolutely. know just where y'all coming from, you know, uh, we understand this is, you know, a serious job that you have on your hands, but 
Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do you feel when you do your job? Uh, do you have any feelings? I mean, it was important for people, and I say that tongue in cheek, but it was important for mm-hmm. people to know that you care. And as a police officer, to be able to, you know, spend the time that you did with me to, to, to kind of give me an insight on what you go through, I mean, that really means a lot. And I hope that a lot of people, you know, gain something and learn something from this and realize, hey, man, y'all just like anybody else, just trying to live your lives and do the right thing. And, you know, hopefully people will start to respect uh, the good officers more so Absolutely. because they, 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 can, they can relate. So I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful you came on and you, you know, gave us that perspective. I really think it's going to help I hope it does a lot of people out and there. I, and I really do hope that this relationship between the uh, community and law enforcement gets a lot better. And I hope this situation brings us a lot closer and a lot stronger to the point where we are open for change, we're willing for change, and we implement change. Amen. And, and to be honest, like I said before, I feel it, brother. I really do. I think, you know, we, we you know, we, we, something's different. I just feel something different now. So I really think we're getting there. And, um, I, I, you know, I got to say, uh, you know, I, I give them a lot of, <laughs> I give them a lot of crap a lot of times, these young people, but they've kind of spearheaded a lot of this change, you Absolutely. know, and I, I got to give them credit where it's due. You know, I mean, every method may not have been the correct method, but the world, not just the country, the world, yep. they're, they're talking about this, you know, and a lot of these millennials, like I said, I give them hell, but, you know, they, they sparked this one, so I got to give them the credit. But again, Sarge, thank you so much. Sarge, Sergeant Jack, thank you so much uh, for coming on and, and doing this for me. I really appreciate you taking out the time. And again, I have faith that a lot of people are going to learn a lot from right, you. I appreciate nice. you for having me. Thank I you so much. For having and uh, be safe out there. And uh, spread the word. Be the change of your community. If it won't happen, it's gonna take a it's gonna take a village. Dog gonna create, dog gonna change. Absolutely, right. absolutely. Respect. Thank you so much, Sarge. And I wanna thank every, I wanna thank everybody for listening. I really do appreciate you guys checking out this episode. I know it went a little longer than usual, but this was a big one. This was an important one in in, in my view. So thank you so much for the support and listening. And again, hopefully it'll help a lot of people along the way, all right? So respect to everybody for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you know what to do. And I'll see you down the line on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Akeen's Open Talk. Now, if you would like to leave a comment or two, or if you have any questions, or even an idea for a topic for a future episode, please look up my Facebook group on Facebook and join. Now it's under Akeen's Open Talk. I will accept you and then you will be able to contribute. Thank you.